You're listening to the Tuna Town Talks Fishing Podcast with Captain Paul Miller. Hello everyone, and thanks for listening. I'm a full-time charter captain based out of Ennis, Louisiana, and over the years I've seen some of the most incredible things, and some of my friends have told me some of the most unbelievable stories, so much to where I decided I would like to start a podcast. And now a word from our title sponsor, Blue Wave Boats. Blue Wave has been the number one selling bay boat along the Gulf Coast for many years now. And with over 50 square miles of marsh located out of Venice, Louisiana, it is essential that I choose the right boat to put my clients on fish. For the last four to five years, I've been using a 24-foot bay boat powered with a single 300 Suzuki, and it's been an amazing boat. However, over the years, I've also learned that I like to target a lot of different species that are near shore, so having a bigger boat with more power could help with that, which is why I've decided to move to a 26 Pier Bay powered with twin 200 Suzukis, and this has been the perfect size boat for being able to target multiple different species, especially because the boat has over four live wheels in it, which allows me to use multiple different baits to target multiple different species. With the flush mounted seating, I'm also able to maintain ample fishability, all while still providing a comfortable ride for my clients. With the step toll technology, I'm able to be more fuel efficient at higher speeds, which is also a huge advantage when making long runs through the marsh. If you would like to purchase a Blue Wave boat, head on over to bluewaveboats.com where you can find your local dealer. One of my favorite things to eat while out on the water is either beef jerky or snack sticks. And my favorite place to get this is bourgeoismeatmarket.com. That's right, guys. This is some really good stuff. They don't use any nitrates or preservatives. It comes from one of the oldest meat markets in the world with over 130 years in existence and their fourth generation taking over now. I really want to get the word out about their product and how easy it is to go on their website, order what you want, and leave it on your boat. So go to bourgeoismeatmarket.com and use code TUNATOWNTALKS in all capital letters to get 10% off your order. That's right, guys. Go to bourgeoismeatmarket.com and use code TUNATOWNTALKS in all capital letters to get 10% off your order. That's bourgeoismeatmarket.com. B-O-U-R-G-E-O-I-S meatmarket.com. All right, guys, um, super excited about this episode today. I got um, a good friend of mine down here in uh, Venice. His, his name is um, Harold Wilcox, and he's been fishing down here for a long time, and he's uh, been, been on these waters a lot longer than me. So it was, I've all, me and him have uh, become quick friends recently and uh, wanted to have him on the podcast to uh, just kind of talk about how he got into fishing and what he likes to do down here because he, he he does some fun stuff so <laughs> well uh, i'm honored to be here i like being in the presence of greatness and from what i hear about the, you're the guy you're the man paul and uh, i'm just happy to be here mm. i got into it i'm originally from south carolina mm-hmm. and i grew up on santee cooper lakes over there lake mary and lake military and i was wade fishing for brim <laughs> truly wade fishing for brim how but long ago was this i this hate to tell everybody how old you are but <laughs> i can I, well, I don't have to tell them how old i am but i can remember before the dead sea got sick <laughs> uh, i was wade fishing santee back in the late late 50s early late 60, 50s yeah, late 50s. 50s wow and uh we would take a cane pole with about two feet of line tied to the end of it and wade with a bait can around our neck coffee can full of uh 
<laughs> worms, and we got a basket on our side. That's primitive, right? That's there. primitive. <laughs> That's yeah, I told you. But I mean, we would it would we we'd mess them up, and then. And that was mostly for like like crappie and brim, brim, and mostly just brim. And then I graduated. I knew I could. I found I could catch bass wade fishing like that also. <laughs> and so I started fishing for bass. So like around where we like I bet like I I'm from Mississippi and like there's like no way where you can really wade fish for bass. Were these like sandy, sandy places? When they stuff? flooded the lake, they flooded the farms. And one mm-hmm. of the one of my favorite places to wade was a place called the cow pastures. And they just flooded the cow pastures, and it was hard, <laughs> hard, uh, hard bottom. Hard bottom, and <laughs> you could uh, wade for miles and miles. We'd catch fish around willow trees and cypress trees, really? and uh, yeah. And then I started uh, doing for about when I was guiding over there back in the early seventies. I got my first captain's license in 1977. We didn't know when we started guiding over there for bass that we had to have a license to take people <laughs> fishing. So but you you were guiding for bass back in yeah back in there yeah. Wow. And where was that at? Same place. Santee Cooper on Lakes. I grew up in a little town called Somerton. Oh, okay. I was about uh, seven miles from the lake, and I was wading the lake before they even paved the road down to the lake. You know, <laughs> and I would ride my bicycle down there and. My daddy would meet me at, at the end of the pavement, which was about five miles. I'd ride my bike back, and he'd be there at a little country store. We'd put my bicycle in the trunk and take me back home. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that was that's how I, I've been fishing all my life. And, uh, wow. Ponds. And it definitely starts from a young age for the people that are truly, truly addicted, it seems. I tell people it's worse than crack. <laughs> I, I can't knock people who, who can't break whatever habit they have because I sure haven't been able to break this one. Yeah, yeah. And then I started uh, fishing the South Carolina coast, mm-hmm. and that was back before the days of GPSs, right? And before spot locks, <laughs> yeah. we'd go fishing. You had anchors and stuff. We had anchors, Paul. <laughs> and, and when you go out and you have to anchor in water forty to fifty feet deep yeah. over a wreck, yeah, that's. And you got a the tide and the wind. The wind's blowing one way. The current's running another way. We hated throwing that because you'd have to drop the anchor and then wait to see where the boat ended up. Oh, yeah. And if you're not over the wreck, you gotta you gotta put, do it all over do it all over again. again. Exactly. Yeah. I know a lot of what that's like because my my dad he was you know we we had to go dive dive these reefs and we never had that you know spot lock or nothing like that and really important when you're diving to be right next to it, especially if the current's bad or something like that you know so. I know what it's like, and we're spoiled now. <laughs> hey, I, there's a lot of captains. I had somebody call me the other day. They said, yeah, this guy's uh, canceling on me because his trolling motor's broke. I said, he canceled? His trolling motor's broke? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, man, what? <laughs> the, uh, I've heard you, you. I've heard all of your podcasts, what, 43 or 44 now? I don't know. I guess, yeah. I've listened to every one of them. And, uh, I appreciate the, the, the support as well. And I've been, I've been telling everybody you need to listen to Paul. If, <laughs> if you want to know about fishing Venice or fishing in general or diving, Paul, yeah. listen, listen to Paul's podcast and spread the word. But uh, <laughs> very, very interesting. But I, I, dive, I used to dive a little bit. I got my certification, and I dive some in uh, the Bahamas some of the Florida Keys and yeah. uh I used to dive some with Scott Cothran. I don't know how to had Scott on here. Yeah. And then they graduated they started doing nitrox and all that stuff and I did They're out. getting too much into it. I'm <laughs> out. Yeah. I like diving the Florida Keys cuz you can see everything you want to see in about 15 feet of water. 
Oh, and if yeah. you get in trouble, you can just pop to the top and not an issue. Right, right. But y'all right. are serious divers. Yeah, here you got to really want it. I will say that. Like a lot of times when you get in the water, you know, it, it doesn't look like the Florida Keys. <laughs> What's your visibility here usually? I mean, it, you know, it's always different. You know, I've shot fish where I literally have to look up so that you can see the silhouette, you know, because that's the only way, you know, or you try and shoot from the hip or use a pole spear because you're a lot closer to the fish you know there's all types of stuff but i mean it it all comes comes down to how bad you want it like a lot of people just would prefer not to dive in dirty water i mean a lot of times i'm like that myself do the so people ever just run further out to get to the clean water do the people down here ever uh caution you about diving with all the sharks they have down here oh yeah yeah i mean but i think it's i don't know like i say i've, I've you've heard me say it before that it, it makes you feel like you're alive when you're in the water with sharks you know <laughs> <laughs> no it does like i really feel like with diving it's like oh you know i've started diving when i was 10 and i can remember being so scared you know because you know if your dad was dad was gonna leave you again and because <laughs> he, he was like the worst dive buddy you know he would kind of he was always off doing his own thing so you but you would get scared of that you would, you would get scared of barracudas i remember getting scared of barracudas a lot and then they look sharks neat. yeah and then like you gradually you just overcome all these fears and then it's like you start to realize that's what you're craving is that like adrenaline that rush. adrenaline that you used to get and yeah. so then you start doing other stuff like you spear fish and you you know you try to <laughs> do other things to to keep it going you know you know but. people uh caution me about waiting because of the sharks right right why do you wait that's the same thing. well because when they were giving well uh bill butler here yeah. Uh, was telling he gives me a hard time every time he sees me. He'll oh, say, he's 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 on me all the time. Yeah, gonna be another statistic. I know he did to me. You still got both your legs. You still got both your legs. <laughs> but he hammered me so hard on that. I googled shark attacks on the Louisiana coast, and they got records back to 1900. And the article I found said since 1900 there have been seven shark attacks on the louisiana coast wow one fatality a 16 year old kid in lake pontchartrain yeah but there's not a lot of people in the water over here that's right and <laughs> two of, uh, i hate to tell you this but two of the seven were spear fishermen really who had wow. fish tied to their sides oh gosh yeah i never i never do that but. that's why i have a 15 foot stringer when oh, I you put it way back way there? back there yeah mm, i've had them jerk idea. me down yeah. taking fish off my string i beat them <laughs> off with my rod i see them coming I was, that was my next question you fight them for it or absolutely let them have it? see that's how i am i fight them for it now i fish with people and they just let them have it i'm like what are you doing like, you know some of them say they you know <laughs> they, they want a, 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 a stringer that pull pull loose i said i got a stringer with a cable in the middle of it i'm gonna get my fish if i catch him we're gonna fight over that fish that's how i feel about it uh, i'm with you that's an adrenaline rush oh yeah so you know moving on from you 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 did a lot of bass fishing bass fishing yep so like you did you you, you guided mostly did you did you compete competitively because there's all types of bass fishing i mean we got it a i got it some and i fished some of the a lot of local bass tournaments and some of the bs ASS tournaments and uh that was fun as a matter of fact for how long so like you know from like the 70s to 80s or 70s to 80s to early 90s early I guess 90s too. Yeah. and um matter of fact when I finished college I, I started teaching school I taught coached was assistant principal in principal of high school and that's why the reason I resigned my job is because I was fishing a lot of bass tournaments then and I couldn't get off a week at a time to go fish <laughs> bass tournaments so I said I need to be in business for myself mm. and so I resigned my job as principal so I could so for how long were you a principal I was in the administration for 
taught, coached, assistant principal, and principal in a span of five years. I taught seven months when they made me assistant principal. Oh, okay. And then I was did that for three years. They made me principal. And uh, I was the youngest principal, in high school principal in South Carolina. <laughs> really? How old were you? Uh, 25. 25 years old. Wow. Yeah. Being a principal. Yeah. Wow. Back then, too. That's crazy. I had my sister in school. I made her call me Mr. Wilcox when she was. <laughs> <laughs> Your sister, you yeah. were you were principal of a school that your my uh, sister was in. Wow, yeah. that's crazy. I wonder what the youngest principal is now. Well, I don't know, but uh, <laughs> I couldn't do it. Now they'd fire me. I wouldn't put up with all this mess. <laughs> uh, I hear you. I hear you. Having been to a military school, I don't. This things have changed. Even oh, from there's when no I was respect. In yeah, it's, or it's very wild. little respect. Very little. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's spread thin for sure. The week I suspended my sister from school and the superintendent's son. A kid met me in the hall and said, Mr. Wilcox, you know, you laugh and you joke, but you don't play. <laughs> Not a sign in my desk. There's no right way of doing wrong. I don't care who you are. So so you left that to do the bass fishing stuff, and and then you, you got into Jostens? I got stuff? into Jostens then, and they moved me to North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And I got in with a bunch of fishermen up there, but then I moved from there to Tennessee, and I let my captain's license expire because I was busy working harder than I'd ever worked when I was teaching school. I took all my sick leave teaching school and personal days to go fishing, guide, and whatever. Right. But then when I moved so far away, I let it lapse. But I started fishing with some guys in North Carolina, and we fished uh, the Thousand Islands area of upstate New York, oh, Lake wow. Ontario. Mm-hmm. For 17 years in a row, we went up there and uh, caught more smallmouth bass than you could shake and hmm. stick it one day we were i've heard that's a beautiful area of the country paul one I day we were catching them so hard so fast there were three of us in my boat had a stratus back then and one of them said let's see if we can catch 60 fish in 60 minutes wow and this is before seasons because we were throwing them all back mm-hmm. so we took the pliers and mashed the barbs flat <laughs> on our jigs so we catch them and just shake them off at the boat we get in the boat shake them off that counts we had 60 in 35 minutes Wow. We said, let's go for an hour. We had 156 minutes. Wow. And uh, spoiled me. <laughs> and, you know, and, and that was my love. Fishing always been love. Bass fishing was really, really neat until Jim Rabb and his father, Warren Rabb, we were Jostin's cohorts, business associates, and they introduced me to Venice back in the early 90s. And uh, that made me sell my bass boat and get a bay boat because these fish down here pull your line real tight. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a red fish will drag a bass backwards and drown him. So so your first time hearing about Venice, this is like a friend of yours or somebody you worked with? Well, a friend of mine. They were, they were, we both worked for Jostens. Oh, okay. And so they you knew, were friends. Yeah, okay. they knew of my love for fishing. They said, why don't you come down to Venice and go fishing with us? And they had their camp down at Port Eads at the time. Oh, so you went all the way down there. Yeah, that's where we stayed. We had to pack up all the stuff and take it down there because when you got there, there was no – there were no facilities. You had to take your gas, your water. Right. And your so how did you get down there? Y'all had a in boat. boat. In boat. We came right here and put in the came boat. Here, came here, put all y'all stuff on it, and then go down, down there and camp. stand in the camp. Yep. Okay. Neat. And we fished for uh, whatever would bite. We uh, we could go through Portie's cut, uh, the Coast Guard cut back there then. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. changed so dramatically yeah. since then. But right. uh I just fell in love with Venice. I told I tell the Rabs all the time with Jim. I said, Jim, you have cost me thousands upon thousands of dollars. Made me sell my <laughs> bass boat, get a bay boat. Made me buy a camp down here. 
and uh it's a real addiction it's it worse than crack i'm yeah. telling you what it really is and so. i told one of your buddies one of you that you did a podcast with that may have mentioned uh Brandon Carter, when you were doing Brandon and John together, yeah. and I heard Brandon misspeak during the podcast, <laughs> and I called him and told him when he said every mo- he said he might he, he he was being modest. He said he may not be the best trout fisherman down here. He said, but no, he knows every morning at the dock, nobody wants it any more than he does. I said that's not so. When I'm down there, somebody wants it just just as badly as you do. Maybe more. Maybe more. I said yeah. I want it bad enough to get in the water with them. I said when I see you get out of the boat, I'll know you want it bad as I do. Right. So you so but you you were you fished out of uh, Port Eads mostly, and like what kind of boat were you guys in back then? Like did y'all take down there? Uh, his dad had a gravois, a big aluminum boat. Uh-huh. And Jim had uh, – Jim could buy and sell everybody down here in Venice. Oh, uh, he he always tried a different boat. Kind of no, thing. he had the old most beat-up boat you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> but that's what we fished in. I don't, right. I don't even think it had a name. It, was, huh. it, was like, it reminded me of a Carolina skiff. Right. So y'all would bring two boats at a time most of the time? Or? Uh, he would trailer his boat from Baton Rouge back then. He would trailer his boat down here. So when I started, wow. I would fly to New Orleans, fly to the airport, and he would come through uh, passenger pickup with his truck, pulling his boat behind it, and I'd hop in the boat, and we'd go spend the weekend in Venice. <laughs> and, uh, loved it. Wow, that's awesome. And so when did you decide to buy a camp down here? Well, uh, another buddy of mine uh, from South Carolina found the camp that I'm in now. They found it for sale after Katrina. Okay. And uh, they bought it and fixed it back up. And brought it down here, and he wanted me to uh, buy in, be a be a partner. Be a partner. He yeah. said it's a great deal, Harold. He said, you know, we've got this guy from New Orleans that rents it for us for the whole summer, mm-hmm. and uh, he he rents it for three months, and that's enough to pay our dockage for the whole year. Right. He said this is a great deal. I said it's a great deal, except right now I'm working with the Johnsons, and I work the school year. I'm off during the summer, and I want to go fishing. Why would I want to be in a camp? But I can't go there when I'm off. Right. Yeah. I said, if money's an issue, why don't you add a few more people to it and some more partners, then you won't have to rent it anymore. If you do that, then I'm in. Right. So he talked to his buddy said, we're going to do that. We're going to add a couple more partners. I mean, I said, I'm in. Okay. And so. I bought in. And uh, I was. it's been especially good lately because I'm only one of the crowd that's retired, so they can only come every now and then. I come <laughs> all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Is it still like that? You know, multiple partners? Yeah. It? Oh, okay. That's and cool. uh, and you know, it's, we split the dockage fee, all the expenses, uh, several ways. It's cool too. You get like people to like hang out with. And Absolutely. Stuff, Just yeah. like yeah. you, know, we invited you to dinner. Yeah, tonight. yeah. I'm gonna come hang out with y'all. Absolutely. Cool. I'm looking forward to it. That's a great. Yeah. I'm sure, well, there'll be some hogwash around, right? Absolutely, brother. Hogwash is the best. So yeah, guys, you got to know, uh, Mr. Harold. He sells hogwash. And how how long have you been selling? This is a uh, barbecue sauce. Barbecue right? sauce. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, we talked about my my wade fishing. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, like guy that lived. I, I lived out in the country from a one stoplight town where I was raised. Mm-hmm. And uh, guy down the road, dirt road behind. I lived on a dirt road, but a little further down the dirt road with this black guy down there, and he had kids my age, and uh, we were we were pre teenagers. But he would take us to the lake, and he's the one who got me started wade fishing for a brim around the edge of the lake down there. And on the weekends, he would barbecue cook for people and uh he got me interested in cooking you know he uh, 
I, he was very patient with us because his ki- I and his kids, we called ourselves helping him cook. We were probably in the way more than anything else. <laughs> but it got me interested in cooking. He was making his own barbecue sauce back then. And really? South Carolina is famous for its mustard-based sauces. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I moved to Tennessee, and it seems like there was more vinegar-based sauces there. So I started making my sauce, as I can remember how we used to make it way back then, for my buddies in Tennessee, and they said, all of them say, they'd say, you ought to bottle this stuff and sell it. Well, I figured they were just blowing smoke on me, so I'd give them some more. You know, they'd brag on me, I'd give, some, give them some more. And uh, finally, my son, when he, when he went off to University of Tennessee, he couldn't cook. The only thing in his apartment he had to eat were chips and hogwash to dip them in. <laughs> and uh, then he started, his grades weren't that great, so he started taking hogwash up there in pint jars and giving his professors brown nose and his professors... <laughs> <laughs> and he had a couple of marketing professors that said, your dad ought to bottle this stuff and sell it. And uh, I said, well, you know, they don't know me. They're not blowing smoke on me. But the, he said, they said, if you'll come up here one Wednesday afternoon, they'll meet with you and tell you what, what you need to do. And so that's what I did. And <laughs> they told me who to call with the State Department of Agriculture to get my – jump through all the proper hoops to get it right, done. Too. And yeah. I did. And uh, I probably started bottling it commercially in, oh, 2005 maybe. Really, right yeah. around Katrina, huh? Yeah, and because uh, I was mixing, I was mixing. So it's up, been around that long. I, yeah, had I was idea. mixing up in my kitchen before that, and uh, I got so tired of stirring my big old five-gallon pot with a big uh, metal spoon, a big wooden spoon, and so I had a bright idea of getting an electric grill and a paint stirrer. You need to stick <laughs> that thing in there and turn it. Vroom, it just stirs <laughs> like crazy. I learned the first time you don't pull the thing out while it's still spinning because I spun. <laughs> barbecue sauce all around my kitchen walls when it came out of the thing. <laughs> but then I, I couldn't keep up, so I got a, got a bottle or I signed a non-disclosure agreement and gave them a recipe, and they make it for me now. Wow, and, uh, so you just kind of collect now, huh? I just collect the money now. <laughs> no, people say, you make a lot of money. I say, I make a lot of friends. <laughs> you know, a lot of people give people a business card. I give them a bottle of hogwash. And they, they, man, I used it the other night. My, I love it. I really do. That's we're going to use stuff, it tonight man. on these ribs oh, and chickens we're doing. Yeah, I was blown away. I was like, this is definitely my favorite barbecue sauce. Now. Well, <laughs> my well, wife agreed, too. My wife loved it. Well, if you need some more, uh, you can be a call. I know a guy. <laughs> <laughs> and stuff's super good. And they can find it where? On Website, heraldshogwash.com. Heraldshogwash.com. Y'all go well, Facebook page, heraldshogwash. <laughs> <laughs> it's good stuff. Um, but yeah, so you're down here, like, when did you get into wade fishing? Cause that's like everybody that around here that knows you, that they know you as the wade fisherman. Yeah. That's my, that's my, that's my love. That's my, <laughs> because when I was fishing with, uh, uh, Jim Rab and uh, I know a lot of the guys, I probably know more guys down here than I don't know. Right. And none of them wade fish. I guess it's a liability or something there. If uh, Yeah, it is a lot of that. Yeah. And, and you know, a lot of the, a lot of the folks with guys, they all fish with live shrimp, a lot and, of them. and I understand that because uh, you never know what your clients can do, mm-hmm. and that's their insurance. Live shrimp is an insurance, and uh, but you got to be good to catch them with live shrimp too. You got to know where they are. Yeah, you got to be where they're at. Yeah. Oh, you know, I tell people all the time, Paul, it's not but two things you have to do to catch fish. It's easy if you can remember two things. That's all you got to do. Two things. Number one, go where they are. Two, be there when they're biting. <laughs> and that's all it is to catch a fish. Yeah, it really doesn't matter what you have either, yeah. like what kind of bait. Or if they're biting, they're going to bite it. It doesn't matter. And, you know, I tell, <laughs> I tell people, you know, I've just, uh, I've always heard that this fin- the fishing is fun once you get the hang of it. And I'm still trying to get the hang of it. 
<laughs> but to answer your question, over at my camp, oh, probably uh, six, eight years ago, I had come in, was put, I had already put my boat up, and some guys from Texas who are down here now, uh, they were right next door to me. So I was just talking. I talked to everybody who's next door when they're fishing. And I said, y'all do any good today? Because I had been out and I had caught a few fish. And one of my guide buddies had been out and he'd caught uh, five redfish and seven trout with his clients that day. And I said, uh, y'all do any good? They said, yeah, we did pretty good. I said, well, how many did you get? They said, we caught, uh, there was a crowd of them. They said, we caught 200, I think. There were eight of them. I said, I don't believe that. And their boats were right there, and they opened two coolers that were packed, slam full of trout. <laughs> I said, son of a gun. I said, where'd y'all catch this? Where'd you catch them on? They said, plastic. I said, you are kidding me. They said, I said, where'd you catch them? They said, we, we caught them waiting. Flashbacks to my childhood, waiting. Already? Like a, in that instant, you feel like? Absolutely. Because, really? you know, I was perfectly comfortable in the water all my life. Yeah. And But I never heard anybody down here saying about weight fishing. Yeah. And I said, really? And one of them, uh, he's down here now, got to be very good friends, Russell Glenwinkle. And he said, come go with us tomorrow. We'll show you. And I said, I've already put my boat up. I got to go home tomorrow. He said, you don't need a boat. Come go with us in our boat. <laughs> I said, son of a gun. I said, I got to go home tomorrow. He said, listen, we'll have a limit. We'll be back here by noon and you can go home. <laughs> I said, get out of here. I said, okay. I'll leave it. If you can give me back here by noon, I'll go. I said, let me run back over to my shed and get a rod and reel. He said, nope, I've got rod and reel right here. You can use it. i got rod and reel, baits. All you're going to need to do is get in the mo- get in the boat with us in the morning and go. <laughs> so I went, and uh, ten of us went. <coughs> and uh, ten of us had 250 trout. Wow, that's a lot of trout. That's a <laughs> lot of trout, and uh, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I mean, that that was I, ho- I was hooked. I said, I did not know that this kind of fishing was available down here because none of the people I'd ever been with ever. Who, who are you mainly going with, though? Is it just the just the people that brought you down here, first of all? Yeah, uh, the Rabs and then uh, uh, Britt Roy is a good friend of theirs. And, okay, uh, so they had other guys. Well, they had they other would... guys. Britt Roy, Larry Averitt, who's now retired. Mm-hmm. Uh, another uh, good Larry Averett and Brent Roy shared a camp with Lance Hidalgo, who was a veterinarian, had a vet hospital there in Baton Rouge, and we'd fish together. Now, Brent Roy will wait. I have been with Brent waiting, and Brent even called me. He had a client from uh, New Orleans who wanted to come down and go wade fishing, just them. So he called me, said, you want to go wade fishing with us? We're going to take this guy fishing. Yeah. And so I went with them, and uh, that's you know, just wade fishing with whom, with whoever would go, and I've just uh, I fished with a lot of the guides. Fun fishing, just like we did yeah. the other day. And uh, I guess I'm trying to figure out why more guides don't, because like whenever I first, whenever I first started guiding down here, that's what I thought I was gonna do. Like I was gonna spend the springtime wading the islands. Like I thought that would be like a you know something unique. I always try to look for something unique to, to offer to people. And I tried it, and I did. I had some success with it. But what I found out is, like, a lot of these, a lot of the people, you know, either they weren't in the best shape to do it, or um, they were real scared. 
like in the water and stuff. And I think you have to like market because like I know other guides in different places and they like market to towards like Wade Fisherman because yep. it's like it's people like you that have done it for a lifetime and they really love, you know, wade fishing and they just want to go see different places. They want to go wade fish in different areas that you're actually taking other fishermen fishing. Yep. You know what I mean? That's right. And down here, we don't really get, I mean, we do get a lot of people that fish a lot, but I don't think we get a lot of wade fishermen. You know, we get a lot of South Florida, a lot of Texas people, which t- some of the Texas people they ask me about wading sometimes, and I and I like I said I do I do a handful of wading trips I really do, but it's not something that's it's not as easy to sell. For some you reason, know, you know, <laughs> uh, you touched on this while ago I think yeah, wade fishermen if they come here to wade fish they're fishermen. Yeah, exactly. And you know, uh, a lot of times when people want me to take them, say, well, can I come? Can I go fishing with you? I've learned there's a difference. And somebody going fishing with me, and then my taking somebody fishing. Yeah. If they want somebody to take somebody fish, if they want somebody to take them fishing, and they have to tie their tie their knots, bait their hook, take the fish off the hook, they need a guide. Yeah, they show up and go. Those type of people. Yeah. If they, if they want that, they need to they need to hire a guide. Yeah. If they if they want to do if they're a fisherman and they want to go fishing with me, that's altogether a different situation. I'd love that. Right, right. Because so, that's like a that's a give and take relationship. That's right. You yeah. know, we, we're having a big time. Yeah. And, and I agree with something that you have said a number of times. Uh, it's about the experience. Right. You yeah. know, to go out there, wait. People always add to the experience. Yeah. Sure. yeah. <laughs> uh, to go out there and wade and li- uh, listen to the the sounds out there on the the beaches, the surf and the birds and the you can hear those uh, the whistles on those rigs ringing in the distance. Yeah. That's music. I'm out. I can. Trout, I need to go trout hitting the top of the water. Oh, oh unbelievable! <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> hey, and you know the thing is, uh, wading. I really feel like I'm more in tune with the fish because I know I when I wade around these islands, these sandbars. Uh, you can find the most subtle troughs when you're wading that don't necessarily show up yeah. on a depth finder. Do you, do you feel like it gets you like more in the moment? Absolutely. I yeah, mean, I, I like am that's laser people, focused. Yeah, I think that's what people a lot of times that find something like that that they really really like is because it like everything you know you're like so in the moment. I mean, that's the perfect word. Yeah. I tell people, that's you what know, I like. That's what I get out of free diving. Like whenever I'm free diving, I can't be thinking about anything else because if I do. I get hurt or, yeah. you know, you can't. You, you can't. have to think about what you're doing right now. And, that's and, I, then, and like, you start to crave that because, like, whenever you're in your boat and stuff, you know, you got the dang steering. Or it requires the, 100% you of your attention. You got a trolling motor, a motor. You got all this kind of crap going on. And I feel like whenever you get out of your boat, it's like, ah, and you I'm know, here. I'm fishing. <laughs> it's like. <laughs> I think I'm going to catch one every cast. And right. I don't. But yeah. I am that into it. When I. Cast. There's, open, there's no bad cast because when you're waiting, you can cast wherever you want to cast. You're not worried about hitting somebody behind you or somebody crossing your line. And I think I'm going to catch one every cast. And I work my bait like he's just about to bite every time. <laughs> and uh, you know, you can feel the you can feel the tide when it starts to move. Right. And, uh, yeah, you feel the difference. You can watch the, the watch the stringer behind you where the cork is. You never yeah. want to be throwing over your stringer. You want to throw up current and bring it back to you and right. uh, fish the troughs. It's just it's it's one on one with the fish and I love it. Yeah. I, I do enjoy wade fishing. I enjoy it a lot. There's always like 
And there's always somebody that's standing next to you that can be doing something a little bit different. That oh, gives them a little, little bit of an advantage, and they, they get more bites than you. And, that, and that's kind of what makes it fun or really not fun for a lot of it's people. Really- that's another thing I was going to get at with taking people is that, you know, it it's not for everybody, <laughs> apparently. It's not for everybody, and I don't know what it is. Uh, You've seen it, though, right? I've Many, many, many times. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I saw it the first time I went with these guys uh, from Texas as their guest. Yeah. We, uh, Somebody else had to catch this guy's fish. <laughs> yeah, it was it it was embarrassing. But um, I've had people before that standing shoulder to shoulder. I know I mentioned mm-hmm. Brent Roy. He took his client one time, and I w- went with him, and uh, I had a daggum redfish on my stringer, a slot red, mm-hmm. but uh. Somehow or another, he pulled my stringer off, and I had a four or five trout on there too, but he got my string, and so I had to go stand beside them because I didn't have a stringer anymore. And we were standing not six feet apart, Brent, his client, and me. Mm-hmm. And Brent and I both caught limits, and his client caught three fish. Wow. Wow. And, uh, you know, we, was, we was th- I was giving him my – Brent was giving him his bait, I was giving him mine. and Yeah, it's crazy the way it happens, but I, I've seen it. It's a, it's a, often it's such a subtle. It seems like it happens more often than it doesn't, you know. Like where if you have like a charter and you got three people fishing, it seems like more often than not there's two people that do a lot better than that one other guy. I well, don't know what it is. It's weird, but it's that's just the some way it people is. are better fishermen than others. <laughs> I mean, I'm not the best. I'm still learning. Calling spades, spades, huh? That's right. You know, uh, I've been there many, many times when somebody outfished me. Yeah. Caught more than I did. It's okay. Yeah, me too. Yeah. It's but if we, if we if we fish together long enough, I'll get mine too. Yeah, <laughs> it's something I've I've you know, I, people like to talk like you know nobody's ever outfished them, but I think everybody's been on both sides of the the coin at times, and it's it's always real. I don't know, humbling when it when it happens. You know, when there's a boat you can see and they're catching them, and you're not. <laughs> Hey, the, the, and you gotta I leave most of the time I can find fish somewhere else where I can't see somebody else catching fish or if I don't at least I can't see them <laughs> so I mentioned this to you I think once before the gentleman who turned me on to you is a, a retired engineer named Rudy Hall and he is the best weight fisherman I know Really? He wades the islands? Uh, that's how we met. I met him wading. You met him wading at the islands? I met him wading at the islands, and we have fished together a lot since then. We talk really? several times a week about fishing. Really? Wow. How long ago did you meet him? Oh, probably three, four years ago. Really? That's yeah. Cool. And he's, you need to, you need to, uh, he's the one who told me about your podcast, I and he told me specific ones to listen to. And, and you, you told me about him before, and you says you, you say that he's one of the guy, like engineers that's like built a lot of these rigs and stuff. His engineering company. His he had the he, so he had a lot the of, he had a lot to do with it. Though. He had a lot of engineers. You know, uh, uh, it was an interesting story about this old structure out there on Breton Island. Yeah. Because everybody knows about the old structure, but I've heard all sorts of stories about what it is, and nobody really seems to know. Mm-hmm. Because most of them who told me what it is were wrong. Rudy knows. Rudy Hall knows because he built it. He built it. Yeah. Wow. Because the uh, it was a uh, it was the guy who owned the oil one of these oil companies. He wanted a place for his people to stay down here, and he had seen this lighthouse or something up on the east coast, up in Maine somewhere. 
hmm. and he wanted uh, his thing to be that shape. And so Rudy flew to Maine to look at this thing, get the specs of this lighthouse, and built that structure at Breton Island to those specs. Really? Yep. And uh, his company built a lot of the rigs out here. That's wild. It's so cool to hear that somebody that like that listens to my podcast. It, <laughs> hey, he listens. Because <laughs> that's somebody I would love to talk to, you well, know, and then if they're already a listener, definitely. He'll do it. Helps. He'll do it. Because I've told him, I said, well, I said, well, you do it. Well, he said, well, Harold, how about we do it together? I said, well, you know, I'll go with you if you want to do it. But I said, but, you know, if you're sitting there talking. It's a different thing. I'm going to podcast keep, together with people. I'm not going to do that thing. because, you know. Uh, my talking about fishing with Rudy is about like me telling a brain surgeon where to cut next. Rudy, <laughs> Rudy is the final word on especially wade fishing. Yeah, and he keeps awesome. meticulous records about. Really, absolutely. That's pretty cool. I know a lot of fishermen that keep records. It's super cool. I kind of just rely on my pictures to be honest. I've got my notebook upstairs <laughs> right now with my, of my records I keep down here. Really. Uh, I kept, How long I, have you been keeping records for? I kept records when I was bass fishing back in the 60s. Really? Yeah. Wow, you still have them? All? I still have my records wow. on my bass fishing. That's wild. That's yeah. super cool. Wow. So you know <laughs> you know all the seasons. and. Well, you know, uh, I was just interested. I wanted because I wanted to I check, I would check lake levels, water temperature, all that kind of stuff. Every time I'd catch fish and where and what the situation was and. I could go back to my book and tell you, listen, this is mid-April. Where, where do I need to go now? Well, what lake level is this? What temperature is this? I'm going to go over here. Been there before. Been there, done that. And uh, It's got to help you learn a lot, right, keeping that record? Yeah, you know, it, it's, it's, it, it's interesting to watch how those patterns repeat themselves. And, uh, yeah. It is interesting to me how, like, you know, within, you know, the same spots, within, you know, the, in the same moon cycle – is you know the fish are going to be there within the, that weather you that's know right what i mean is is you can bank on it is they're going to be there you know i've been they wait, have to be <laughs> i've been waiting the islands uh and i knew they were going to be there but they weren't biting mm -hmm. and brandon was there i think john was there several other boats were there and when you're guiding because i've had, had these people with me when you go there if you don't catch a fish in 15 20 minutes they want to go somewhere else. The captains? No, the the, the clients the want clients, to go somewhere yeah. else. Uh, you know, the captains would be willing to wait it out. Some I'll wait them, it out. Some of them will, yeah, yeah. for sure. But uh, they feel the pressure from the clients to go somewhere else. And we were out there waiting one time, and the boats were all around, and nobody had been catching anything. But uh, I remember these guys from Texas I weighed with, they told me they had gone out there one morning and they didn't have a fish. They'd gotten there before daylight and they didn't have a fish at 9 o'clock. And they had limits by one. Yeah, I've I've, I've done that before. Yeah, and so we Waiting were, at Bretton Island, I've done that yep. a couple times. If you know the conditions, we'll know what needs to happen. And we were out there and everybody left. And that's usually what it takes is everybody leaving. <laughs> everybody left and I had two guys, two buddies with me and we went back to the uh, boat, eat a sandwich, give the tide time to change or something needed to change. Mm -hmm. Just gave it some time. So we were sitting in the boat and we'd eaten a sandwich and after we was eating a sandwich, telling lies and joking and whatnot. I said, let's see who can cast the farthest. And so we stood up in the back of the boat, and we were trying to cast back out deeper water. And then we were arguing about, well, well you know, I no, mine went further than yours. No, your uh-uh, nope, nope. I said, let's get in the water, stand side by side, and both cast at the same time, and the guy in the boat can watch and see whose bait went farther. 
And so we counted three, and we both cast at the same time. And we still argued about which one went farther, and we appealed to him. We was t- he was saying, well, so-and-so and so-and-so. And while we were sitting there talking, both of our rods with the baits <laughs> on the bottom just went down. And uh, he caught a fish, and I caught a fish. And the guy in the back of the boat, he grabbed his rod and threw back. He caught a fish. Then he jumped in the water with us, and we limited out right there without moving the boat, standing beside the boat. Something changed. We and knew they, they started were, biting. They started biting. <laughs> That's why you got to be where they are and be <laughs> the wind of the biting. Yeah, it's true. I've done, it, I've done that too many times. Go back to the boat, grab a sandwich or something. Man, it just seems like trout are more like that than anything, though. Yeah, they are. They are. And uh, as a Will Wall said the other day, uh, crappie, uh, speckled trout. Yeah, I heard it. <laughs> I heard it. <laughs> we all, me, 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 and Harold and Will Wall went fishing the other day. <laughs> <laughs> and Will said uh, a crappie, a speckled trout, and a wahoo were all, God made them all on the same day. <laughs> and a woman. And a woman, that's what he said. <laughs> and it's funny because he, uh, I mean, he's. It's funny because it, they are all the like most finicky and they're very all, finicky, very it's moody. One of the funnest fish yep. to catch. Too. That's the challenge. Yeah, yeah. It's all about being there when they're biting for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> and that and that and like that desire to for that hot bite is like <clears throat> it's weird, isn't it? Like you you want you you just want to get to a place where you catch them every cast, and then <laughs> when you get to a place where you catch them every cast, you still want like well, a big one. That's right. I want a bigger one. I want a bigger one. <laughs> And, you know, uh, oftentimes I fish a bait that's maybe not my favorite bait for catching numbers, but catching bigger fish. Catch bigger fish. You do that a lot. Oh, yeah. And uh, I like uh, top water. I like uh, suspending twitch baits. Yeah. I caught big fish on, on those. Yeah. And uh, I like throwing the like That's a cool thing about trout fishing, too, right? You can throw all different types of. All sorts of stuff. Yeah. And, you know, I think they'll. If we're not biting, if they want something, you know, a lot of times I've seen, you know, I'll, I'll get a hit or something. I think, well, maybe I missed one. I got a bite. I don't think that was a trout biting because if trout wants it, he's going to get it. You can't get it away from him when he wants it. Yeah. yeah. And um, you get a lot of uh, ladyfish, catfish, stuff like that. Yeah, I feel like sometimes, though, like they, they bite like they're not as aggressive with their bite. or they're, Yeah, you know, I, they're I agree like, with that. Like coming and hitting it and turning at the same time they're just kind of like biting it more or less you know? but if they want it they're going to get it right if they're really biting if they're really biting they're going to get it yeah and it doesn't matter fact. what you throw that's they're going to get it yeah, yeah. <laughs> circle hook j hook anything get it. yeah <laughs> you ever get into the offshore stuff here uh i have been several times and uh offshore really is not my thing uh Chocolate and vanilla, I guess. <laughs> I'm engaged. Same with bass fishing. I'm engaged when I'm bass fishing. I'm doing it. I'm casting at something. And when I'm fishing inshore, I'm actively involved in what's going on. But to go offshore with a bunch of guys and you're trolling or whatever. Live baiting. Somebody live baiting. Else is the fish somebody else something. is hooking the fish or something like yeah. that. Uh, I love to go out for the fellowship and to see the blue water. And it's a great day. Uh, Billy Freeman came over one time, and he's a friend of mine, Scott Cawthorn, and we took one of his boats, and we went out and spent the night out there tuna fishing all night. It was such a neat experience to be out on the 
gulf all night long because mm-hmm. you know you're out there during the daytime and you think you're out there by yourself but when the sun goes down and gets dark and you can see the lights from all the rigs out there it's like cities out there everywhere yeah, it's cool it is a cool feeling being out there at and, night uh, and, all that. and that was fun but on a day-to-day basis you you offshore guys my hat's <laughs> off to you and besides you catch a big old tune no. i can't wind that thing in well, that's you know that's exactly why i started doing the inshores because i felt like the experience wasn't it was different. It was more personal, like the experience was. Yeah. The the person actually had to learn something. Yep. You know, they have You're to a good teacher because I've heard you yeah. talk about the clients you've had and how you've had to uh, teach them stuff. Well, you have to learn to like it. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and, you know, we, I, I, do, I do enjoy teaching people. I think you have to. Like, it's, I mean, it's, con- but like fishing, that's what you have to do. It's like, I don't know, I think some military training's like this, but you have to learn it and then study it and then reteach it. To really know it absolutely and that's what i think guiding is you know you, you're learning you're out there on the water learning while you're trying to teach but you know not I mean? but not all guides share that that you do that's why i could recommend you very easily because i think i know if someone goes out with you they're gonna have a great day on the water uh they're gonna catch fish but they're gonna have a great experience and i think the, that's the, that's the goal <laughs> i think the experience is more important than how many fish you put in the box it definitely is because i've been out and had great is. times out there and come back with clean ice right but i've thoroughly enjoyed every day i'm on the water right so so let me ask you this so somebody heard you you talk about catching 250 trout in a day between you know 10 people that's that's a lot of trout. How do you feel about the speckled trout limit and 25 fish a person? Do you feel like that's too many? Or? Well, uh, 25 fish a day for me, five days in a, in a week, say, I don't need 125 fish to take on, you know. Right. Uh, and, you know, when you, um, when you see. <clears throat> but isn't it fun catching that many and bringing them back to the dock? <laughs> Uh, it's fun catching them. Um, it's a challenge with the, with the, with a lot of the guides and people who do it for a living. That's how they uh, increase their clientele. They got to yeah. take pictures of their fish, and people come down. I want to do yeah, that. Some eye appeal. Eye yeah. appeal. Yeah. And uh, and I heard I read years ago where one of the marine biologists said you can't hurt the trout population down here with a rod and reel. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether that's still the case or not. Yeah. Who knows, right? Who knows. <laughs> Uh, I would like to do. I would like to see this fishery uh, perpetuated for other people down the road to enjoy it the way I've been enjoying it. And if that means, uh, you know, there there are marine biologists and people who study this thing uh, who know a whole lot more about the health of the fishery and how to best maintain it. And you know, I I personally don't care if the limit's 25 or 20 or even 15 because i can catch them and turn them loose just like i've done yeah i, yeah. I do most all of my bass fishing but yeah that's how bass fishing is it's, they all release their bass now. isn't it crazy though that like bass are actually really good to eat they are good to eat but it's like frowned upon to keep bass yeah it's frowned but like a speckled trout or anything else really that comes out it's like we're gonna. We're out here. We're gonna. You know. We're gonna. The, you know what I mean? It's. It's kind of weird that it's like that. But it's I like agree. That. The difference <laughs> is probably in a lake, an enclosed lake, only has a certain population of bass. Yeah. And, and you uh, can outfish it quick. You yeah. can outfish it quickly. Yeah. Uh. But down here along the coast, 
I don't know whether you can out you you can outfish anything. I guess, but I don't know whether we're, up, we're at that point yet or not. Uh, all again, I listen to all your podcasts and a lot of the old timers. Uh, you know, Paul, I used to say, speaking of the old timers, mm-hmm. I used to say that old is a moving target. <laughs> for me to consider anybody old, they got to be at least 15 years older than I am. <laughs> well, there's very few old people left. <laughs> but uh, those old timers talk about, Brandon Carter's one of them. They talk about, and Mike Frenette was another one. Talk about how it used to be back in the old days how much better the fishing was, yeah. how many more big fish they caught. Well, something has changed. And I know the, the storms have torn up a lot of the habitat and, uh, from Katrina. And but when people say that, like, what are we talking about? Are we talking about specifically speckled trout? Uh, redfish, I hear a lot of people saying the redfish are not here. One of my partners is thinking about They're saying it's like a decline. That I've heard over the past year that people are saying that there's – there's a decline, but people forget there was a time. I mean, if you t- uh, you can listen back to my podcast with Ronnie or Mike Frenette when there was a time where it was really hard to find a bull red along the coast. Like yeah. bull reds were, they were netted and killed to and to the point to where you know they were they were hard to find. And it was, you know, if you ask people now if there's a lot of bull reds down here, well, hell yeah, there is. There's, there's too a many. lot. I catch a lot of them. Yeah, some people say there's too many. As a matter of fact, that's why when um. On my uh, when I'm fishing for trout, I have 30 pound test line on my reel and a 20 pound leader, because if I hook a big bull red and the trout bites hot, I'm just gonna pop him off, thumb the spool and pop him off so I can retie and go back to trout fishing because I'm not gonna keep him anyway. Right. And uh, I let him go. Right. You get the bite. Yeah, I get the bite. Little of the fight. <laughs> See you, baby. <laughs> that's Same good with, enough. That's yeah. good enough. Yeah. But uh, uh, it's such it's a very very emotional issue right now down here. It is. It is about because uh, most of the guys say we don't need any changes to the regulations. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not an authority on that. I, you know. Yeah, but like I mean, and none of us know. Like the science doesn't know. You like you know, people like to say that you know there's a lot of people out there that are smaller smarter than us that have all these you know all this data and all this stuff. But to be honest, I think your knowledge as a fisherman for, you know, well over 70 years is is worth I mean, just as much as somebody that's been in school for eight years and is, has been working for three. You know, and they're the I'm just saying I'm not saying that the, the science isn't uh, isn't worth anything, but they've been so wrong. And I think everybody's opinion has it should, should has matter. merit. It has, has merit. merit. It does. It has merit. Like, you know, I had, you know, Dr. Jim Franks on. Like, I he's know. Been, I listen to his podcast. Yeah. He's, you know, he's been in the science field for a long time. And, you know, and he agrees with that, that, you know, somebody like you or a charter fisherman or a commercial fisherman that's been doing it out there a long time. Like, it's both equally important, you know, opinions, I think. Uh, you're right. They, they both have merit. But, like, in your course of fishing, like trout fishing specifically at the islands, which you say, you know, in, like, what, six or eight years, right? I mean, have you seen the decline in speckled trout? Like, have you smoked them every year? Or? I do pretty good. <laughs> you know. I mean, I have days where they're, they're hard to find. But wouldn't you have back what? in the 90s? Like, sometimes I feel like these guys act like there was no bad days back then. Well, see, that's I hear that, too. It's, there's no way. I just don't. I just don't buy it. Some days they bite, and some days they don't. You know, the good thing about, you know, good for the fish. The way you know, as far as I'm concerned, 
there are a lot of days you just can't get out there because of the weather. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it doesn't matter whether the all the signs are right. Yeah, if the moon and everything. All that's and, really all right. That's good, yeah. If the water's too rough to get out there, <laughs> they dodged the bullet for me. Yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> it's their lucky day. Yeah. And then some days, like. Uh, but, like, your records, like, are, I mean, is has it has it been a decline or not really? Or like, in, in what you've seen? Numbers-wise, no, because I still, you know, we still catch a lot of fish. Mm-hmm. But size, I don't catch as big a fish as I hear these guides talking about how they used to catch them back in the day. Yeah. I mean, it's just absurd stringers of fish. Yeah. It, and I'm sure they're not exaggerating. No fishermen would exaggerate. Well, I, you know, I think that the, the, size, the size of a fish, because, like, it's something interesting right here. Because, so, like, whenever I first started down here in Venice, like, a 200-pound yellowfin was extremely rare to come by. I think I remember of, like, two or three yep. getting caught in the span of a year. But, like, like in the past... I'd say two and a half years now. We've we've talked about it a lot. There's more fish over 200 pounds than what Venice has seen, you know, ever from yeah. what we know. And you know, the size of a fish. We saw the average size of a red snapper that grew. You know, the average size of a of a red snapper grew. You just you know maybe they're saying that the average size of a speckled trout went down, but maybe. To me, that might be a way of the species, just the way that they evolved to, you know, keep the keep the whole ecosystem in check. Because the size of a fish has a lot to do with the amount of sperm and eggs that they produce. You know, the the age of the fish. So, like, what I'm saying is, just because that there's not as many big fish, like they're saying, does that doesn't necessarily mean that you know the speckled trout, in my opinion, that the speckled trout, you know, would be doing really bad now. And I feel like I've seen a decline in the size of triple tails since I started doing it. The numbers have have increased a little bit, I feel like. But, I mean, this is – I have no – I don't really have, like, detailed records. This is just me looking back at pictures and what I see now and how big the fish were then and how many more smaller ones I'm catching now. You know, it just seems that way. So, I think – but there's something to that size of fish, I think, this this past December, I guess, when the river got down really low, mm-hmm. and so many fish were being caught in the river, it was crazy. Yeah, it, it, it always is. It would be it, it would be hard to make a case that we have a shortage of trout if anybody's fishing for trout back here when the river was low in, in, in December. It was crazy, and I caught lots of fish, mm-hmm. and uh, we burned about three gallons of gas every yeah. day to go get them, and uh, so I yeah. I mean, there's, I mean, and there's things like, uh, like lobster mini season down in the Florida Keys. Like there's literally whenever they have mini season down in, you know, the Keys, they always talk about how, you know, there's so many people down here. We're going to take all these lobster. Yeah. Yeah. And they're not going to be here next year. Like everybody always says that. And every year they go back and guess what? There's a lot of lobster there. A lot of lobster. Yeah. <laughs> so, and like, sometimes I feel that way about speckled trout here. I really do. I I feel like sometimes that there's just, there's just so much habitat out there that we're in the Breton Sound and, and on both so sides mu- of the river, really. And like I said, there's so much, so many places they are, you can't get to them all the time. Yeah. yeah. So they get a lot of breaks because of the weather down here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's also like, you know, like, I think there's a big difference in catching fish out in the Breton Sound 
and catching fish, you know, in Mobile Bay or maybe even further off than there, somewhere where it's a tighter coastline with a lot more fishermen. That's exactly right. You know what I mean? That's that's a different thing. But we're talking about, you know, like southeastern Louisiana is is just vast. Yeah. It just is. It's just you vast. You know, fr- from here to the farthest island I go to is about 39 miles. Most, most, a lot of us cross open. Most of us cross open water. Mm-hmm. And uh, you got to pick your days to go there. And, you know, just by the nature of where it is, it's protected. And you can go out there a lot of times and uh, you see three or four of the boats. I said, why aren't you people working? You know, someone needs to be, what are you doing out fishing? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, uh, you mentioned a while ago something about your, your uh, noticing a <coughs> size decline or whatever in triple tail. You have not noticed it. Mm-hmm. Got to give you a old plug here now because I've seen you come to the dock and seen you. So, if anybody wants to go triple tail fishing, <laughs> Paul is the man. Matter of fact, we're gonna do that one of these days. I'd love to take you, and Mr. I and I'd I want to and, and something that fascinated me. I took pictures off of one of your Facebook posts when you were catching those triple tail on a cane pole, <laughs> and you saw me when I came in with my cane. Yeah, pole. I saw you sheephead fishing with the cane pole. I was fishing the South Carolina coast offshore over these wrecks with a cane pole <laughs> many, many, many years ago. I would love to see you on a big triple tail on the cane pole. I'd love it. We'll have to do that. That would be fun. Yeah, we got to take Jeff, too. He wants to come. Yeah, Jeff, he'd love to do that because I don't think he's ever caught one. Yeah, I know. He's, he's always – we've kind of always talked about it, and he we – shoot the yeah. whatever at the dock but yeah i'd love to take y'all y'all some good guys yeah we'd, we'd have a we'd have a large time <laughs> for sure for sure and, you know and then just getting back to the conservation side of things i mean how do you feel about um like the the rigs and stuff and like the the stuff that we're talking like do you feel like that makes more trout like that absolutely do you uh, think so and you know and i've heard again i've heard all all the podcasts and i know uh I think, see, being from South Carolina, South Carolina has nothing like the fishing that they have here. And I think it's because of the rigs you have here, especially offshore fishing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And But they don't want to have any rigs off the coast of South I think if the fishermen would, if they come down, the fishermen that have been down here know the rigs are, are, are vital. I mean, that's a, a they key are, yeah. to a, a lot of the... If they could put them in, like, strategic places and do things like we've seen around here, you know, there's certain rigs and things that they put on, like, humps and mounds and things that are particularly better than uh, other ones. But, like, I was thinking about that in Florida. They they don't have to make it ugly like an oil rig. You know, they can make, like, condominiums and stuff out on the water. (laughs) I like the way you think. I'm just saying, like, there's (laughs) got to be a way. There's got to be a way because, I mean, the, the thing that I think that's different and I, I think mainly – I know in the Gulf of Mexico, but I think other places the bait holds differently. But in the Gulf of Mexico, our, most all of our bait holds in the top third of the water column. I've heard you say that, and, and I so, agree. And so, like, all these, we keep putting all this stuff on the bottom, but, like, whenever the bait leaves, a lot of times so do all, this, all the other stuff. Like, yeah. there's nothing to eat, so they just move on, you know. I've heard and you say that, and I agree. And, you know, I would like I, – I, I can't believe nobody's done it yet. I know that when, because Rudy was telling me this, that uh, when rigs are built, the money is set aside then to have it taken down when it's no longer productive. Yeah. And that's part of the contract when they build a rig to take it down. Somebody needs to change that because when you have the rig already out there and it's already been built, leave it. You gotta leave it. There's a, there's a certain amount of liability at play here. That's why they take them down, I guess. 
But I think that that's what needs to go. If something's out there and you hit it, I'm sorry, it's, that's your fault. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> that's I, I wish there was an organization of fishermen or whatever somehow who could absolve the people who built the rig from the liability. You need yeah. to get some attorneys involved there. What you know? What would it take? You know, if, if the rig is properly lighted and has a sound bell or something on it, and you run into it, that's just your fault. That's how I feel about it. I, I really do. I mean, we're not we're not back in the 1700s anymore. You know, all, yeah. And a lot of these maritime laws, from what I understand, are like that old. Yeah. They're like old, old, old. Well, you know, as a part of the attorneys, they're going to sue you over anybody over anything right now. So if there's an accident, somebody's going to get sued. <laughs> but uh, I think you, I think we would come a whole lot closer to getting that done than asking people to go out there and build a rig just for the fishermen to go fish around. This, I talked to Rudy about that, and the cost is it's cost prohibitive to go build a rig for fishing. But I don't think it would. I wonder how much it would cost. <laughs> we'll get Rudy on here and ask him. He told me, but uh, it depends on how complicated you want to make it. Right, how big you want to make it yeah. and all that stuff. But I see, you know what people spend on their hunting ranches? It's unbelievable. <laughs> it is unbelievable. It is. <laughs> I've heard of some hunting ranches, I'm telling you. Like, they, there is no limit. No. I'm with you. But And those people have pockets a whole lot deeper than mine and yours. No, I, maybe they, I can't shoot a for but you. But there's, I mean, no. <laughs> there's a lot of people out there that have, I mean, I just see the, the whenever you see, whenever you see people spend money on other stuff that's, not as cool as having your own rig out in the Gulf of Mexico. <laughs> they need to be fishermen. <laughs> they need to be fishermen to have all that money. Yeah, I think that's what it takes, right? Yep, enough people that have a passion for this, like the fishing and everything, you know. I would like to see, is there an organization of fishermen that could hire an attorney to look into that? What's the what's the law? How, what would it take to change the liability of these rigs if we leave them out there? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I think that's yeah, that's I don't know. A lot of people, a lot smarter than me, have to figure that all and, out. And, I, and I've heard them. Talk. And I and I talk to so, so many people that think that I'm like so crazy. I feel like that you know. That's why I that, like you, Paul. You're crazy. I mean, I I feel like you you know when you when you find the truth of the argument, you just have to you have to stick with the truth, you know. And the, to me, the truth is more habitat is this, should be the center focus of conservation among building the sport of fishing so that we can you know have this desire to make more habitat that's you know one thing that's, that's the truth to me you know? one thing that's encouraging to me you know people say if they want if they if they lower the limit of trout it'll never go back you know if, if, if there's some truth to that there is but what did they do with the snapper season this year yeah, you're right. You're right. People say that, but you're right. Yeah, all, but all, that is the state, though. All the, the federal e government hasn't. Yeah, all the evidence showed that sna there are a lot of snapper out there. So this year we have a, they've raised the limit again. They raised the limit. And opened yeah. the season longer. Yeah. So it does work both ways. That is kind of cool to see that. I didn't think about it like that till you said that. But, yeah, they did go up on it. Because that's what I thought about the cobia. You know, yeah. Whenever they came, they came out this year and they said, you know, two fish per boat, which I'm completely fine with. Like, if you're not happy with two full cobias, I mean, and you yeah. got three or four people on the boat, I mean, that's that's enough fish. Um, I'm I'm completely okay with it, but the argument to it is, is they're never going to give it back. Like, if you go out there and cobias are all over the place, like that's, I mean, they're not, they're oh, they're going to say, oh, it worked. <laughs> the feds might yeah. not, but the state did give the snapper back. Yeah. Yeah, the state did. That's what I mean. Yeah. 
Yeah, but this was a federal, the the COBIA regulation that was changed. So we'll see, though. But, you, I mean, you're right, though. They did give some of us, you know, they gave us back a lot of I'm equipment. going fishing. I don't care what they set the limit or the, <laughs> the creel limit or the size limit. I'm going fishing, and I'm a, a, I'll be within the law. If i got to release them all, I'm going to catch as many right. as I can catch. And I'm the same way. You know, I, I you know people get so, you know, hurt over the trout limit and all this stuff like that, like, I don't care. Like, I, I mean, I'll, I'll be going out there either way. There's still, you know, somebody made that argument that, you know, they don't know if this is going to be a job for us in, you know, 20 or 30 years because they're going to regulate the place to where you're not going to be able to keep doing this. And I'm like, that's crazy. Like, I think if you said that you couldn't keep any fish at all, there would be still people that would want to come fishing down here. <laughs> well, you know, there would be. Years ago. I used to go uh, fishing with a group of men from Tennessee, and we would go down to not here or maybe on the uh, Alabama coast maybe Mm -hmm. every summer. And we'd get a charter boat and go out bottom fish, snapper fishing. And I don't know what the limit was, five or what. It was a lot. And then one year they changed the limit. I don't know what the limit was, one or something. It went down to almost nothing. We never went back because it, it was so expensive to make that trip and charter that boat. And uh, if we couldn't bring any fish home, they didn't want to do it. All the guys didn't want to go and they didn't go, yeah. run a condo for two or three nights and all the meals and travel down there and all that. And then to hire the boat to go out and not being able to keep the fish. Yeah. They said we're not going to well, I think you're right. I think that there's there's a there's some people that won't come at all. But you know that the Florida the Florida Panhandle, if you talk to those charter guides, they had to go through that because they they were used to you know people coming down there like you said, and they would catch a lemon a snap or a bunch of grouper, and they would go home with 600 pounds of fish, and then come back the next year and try to do it again. Yeah. And then you have all these re- all this repeat business, and then they they you know all the regulations go to where they don't come back. Well, they're still there doing the same thing, and there's other people that are like, "What do you mean? I can go fishing and catch? I can go, you know?" And there's yeah. other people that think it's worth it, you yeah. know. And that and that's the way I've always kind of think about it. The fishing is so in depth in our culture yeah. and down here in the South, you know, hunting yep. and fishing is hunting and fishing is so in depth in our culture, and uh, you know, you don't really see it until you go other places. But like, I took the Halco guys out fishing last summer. <clears throat> They're from Australia, and that's what one of their things, you know, they they came from Florida, they came up here and fished here, and they just couldn't believe the amount of, like, people that were in fishing. Like, just standing in Walmart, you'll see somebody with a fishing shirt on and stuff like that. There's that type of culture that comes around with, like, fishing here that, I mean, it's pretty unique to the United States, I feel like. (laughs) You know, having this reminds me a lot of where I grew up over there in South Carolina, right beside the lake. I had a friend come from out of town to uh, ask me, does any car down here, a truck, not have a trailer hitch on the back of it? <laughs> and, you know, I a just, lot of trucks. <laughs> I, I just took it for granted that everybody had a trailer hitch on their car or their truck. Mm-hmm. And uh, you get away from a place like this and away from where I grew up, and not everybody has trailer hitches. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's cool. wrong with them. <laughs> well, do you, you have uh, you got to have some cra- – what's your biggest speckled trout down here? A little over seven pounds. That's a pretty big one for around for around here, especially. <laughs> but you know that was back before I got into wading and uh, all that, and I've caught you know some fives and sixes, but it's a little over seven. A little over seven. Yeah, not quite seven and a half. Was it thirty inches? Uh, 
No. It wasn't it, 30 like, inches, yeah. Like 28 and a half or something like that, 29 maybe. Right. Have you ever been over to like Texas and try to catch like a giant? I went over with Russell Glenwinkle, my buddy. He invited uh, he invited me and a, another friend over, and uh, we went wading over there, and I caught a lot of fish, but I didn't catch a monster. And, uh, yeah. They have the Dirty 30 Club. I'm sure you've heard of the Dirty 30. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm friends with the – actually, me and Speckled Truth guys same, share the same editor, but um, they're the ones that started the Dirty 30 Club, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's pretty cool to, to watch how they – get all these big speckled trout from all over the you know region but that's that's another thing with the size thing that that i that's interesting to me with speckled trout like depending on the area there's a different class of fish like you know texas breeds these 10 pound big trout. big fish big big, big fish big. i mean they're all, all over the place over there well i don't know all over. i've never fished there but from what i'm here and from what the dirty 30 club says but then you know the chandelier islands like if you catch you know, a fish over 27 inches, they actually give you the same citation now. Oh, really? Yeah, it's the same citation for if you catch one over 27 inches. I think it's in Louisiana or Mississippi. Then they give you the same citation because they they think it's the same class of fish, like the same age and okay, same class of fish. Like we, like to catch. I don't I don't know if I know. I mean, maybe I know a couple people that have caught a 10 pound speckled trout at the chandelier islands but honestly i don't i don't think i do <laughs> i don't i haven't heard of one out there yeah but uh you would think right see i i would think they'd be here right what what does the texas coast have that this venice area does not have the miss the delta i don't know i think it's the i think it but there's something to do with the scarcity and the size like there's something to do with that because I think that, like the 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 environment or the species as a whole has a way of regulating their size of fish. That's like gene that's put out so that they can manage the amount of eggs and sperm that's put out. I know that sounds crazy, but the environment has a lot of ways of communicating with itself, and to me, that makes sense. I mean, it has to communicate in some type of way or something has to be different. I mean, it's not bait. We got more bait than they got. That's right. You got more bait. We got more bait. So it's not, it's not, it's not a bait thing, but there's, I don't know, but it's just like I go back to with the tuna, you know what I'm saying? How the average size of the tuna grow. And we have scientific evidence of the average size of red snapper growing. But I just think that there's something that, coincides with the amount that's out there and what's being taken out and the size that is there gets water put quality back in. any better huh is that water quality any better on the texas coast i don't i mean i don't i don't know i would presume it would i, I wouldn't know i'm like there's, there's so many nutrients out there in the river and so many so, nobody has more bait than there is around yeah. here yeah i mean and then like bull reds like we don't have the biggest bull reds guess who does north carolina yeah they have big, big bull reds there, bigger than like I've told people. If you really want to go catch a giant, like watch Mark's show, they catch some big ones up in North Carolina. And they don't catch as many as we do. Same thing. Yeah. But they catch the big, big ones. And then like cobias, talk about cobias. You know, all these old timers, they've caught multiple hundred pound cobias. Wow. I've never seen one. <laughs> If you, you know, if you haven't seen them, they're scarce because you've seen they're everything. Scarce. They're scarce. They really are. I mean, I I know some people that have caught hundred. I'm not saying that you can't. Like they're still around, but 
it seems like, and if you look at the, the tournaments and the size of fish that was coming in in the panhandle and stuff, that they were, you know, there was a lot more big fish. But now it seems like a 35-pound cobia is, like, standard. <laughs> you know, they're just all, like, they're just all that big, it just seems like. <laughs> you know, uh, when you talk about that, I think about the, back to trout. Uh, with as many people that are down here trout fishing and as many trout are brought in here every day, where are those 9 and 10 pounders? That's it, right? They're not They're, they're not, not here. here. They're not because here. somebody be catching somebody them. Somebody would be catching them. Yep. I'd hate to be a trout trying to grow up down here. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't that interesting? It really is, yeah. It's super interesting to me how the sizes of fish, because I, I don't know how you study that, you know? Over my head. <laughs> God, I got to catch one to study him. That, it just seems to me like there's, I mean, and then like, I don't know, there's things like the pogey boats, you know, like how many pogies they take out and they keep doing it year after year. And everybody just thinks that like. I listened to your podcast <laughs> when you had the guy on who had worked on the, uh, the pogey boat for yeah. what, three years. Yeah, yeah. I cheered you. I jumped up and down. Yes, yes, you nailed it. Because <laughs> he said, we only take. Uh, our buy catch is well, like five percent. Five percent, he said. Five percent is nothing until you start thinking about a small. What it, what it, what is five percent? What are we small, talking about? A, a small percent of a big number is a lot. A billion. That's their. That's their. They take a billion pounds of pogies. I saw it in an article the other day. A billion pounds of pogies a year. So that's, because you ask him how much did his boat take in, how much did the, the others in his fleet take in, yeah. and was there competitive competitiveness? Yes, there was. Well, how many do y'all take in? How many fleets are there? And you paid it him right into this deal. <laughs> they said, okay, well, then that's like a billion pounds of pokies y'all are taking. Yeah. 5% of a billion pounds is how much of other fish y'all are killing when y'all do that. It's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot of bycatch. A yeah. lot of bycatch. And I don't, I shouldn't say this other than just a gut feel, but I don't buy for a minute that they release so many of these fish unharmed and, no, I don't. You know, that I don't think it's their goal. I know. I know how commercial fishermen think. I've been around enough of them. You know, they they. I would think that it would be more or less like you know, let's get him out the way and keep you know keep working. Yeah. If that means get him out the way and he's alive, then that's fine. But if that means if we're gonna are we are we gonna lose most of our catch to try and save, you know, well, a porpoise or a, or a bunch of bull reds. Probably not. I think they would just kill everything, and oh, if that's me, an option, you know. If you if you uh, if you got a billion pounds of fish, and you got five percent, five percent is not much when you start compare it to uh, a billion. But if those fish were left in with that, all the other fish that they're grinding up or making cat food or whatever they make out of it, would it really affect the end result of their product? Nope, I don't think it would. Probably not. <laughs> if you threw a if you threw a redfish in there with a, with a bunch of four or five hundred pounds, it's probably of, just as many oils in that. Right? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what they do with it, but <laughs> uh, I just think that that's where I would like to see, see some more regulation somehow. I don't know how to do it, but uh, I I've, I've seen them in way closer. You think than the, the 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 pokey boats need to be more regulated for sure? They, I yeah, I do. I think the and but regulations they do have. I think there's uh, there's gonna like as much as they're 
there, I think there needs to be a constant driving force to oppose them at all costs. Yeah. Because that's what we need. You know what I mean? They, they're not going to give you much, so you better be asking for a lot. <laughs> that's exactly right. Like, whoever wants to get up and go to these meetings and fight against the pokey fishermen, yeah, we need you. We need you because – I mean, these they, they got a lot. They got a lot more than we got, you know. And I'm not saying that you know pokey fishermen can't just you know keep doing what they're doing. I mean, it seems like there's a healthy fishery out there. But uh, I mean, if you know they're talking right now, they want to push their barrier to a mile. Yeah, I'm for it. I'm for it. I'm for it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we, yeah, give us a mile. <laughs> they're not giving us what they're supposed to be giving right now. I don't think. No, no. No, definitely not. They said what they say a quarter mile. Is that what they said? That's what the, that's what it is right now is a quarter mile. I mean, I've seen them pretty close. I've seen them closer than that. <laughs> but they don't pay attention to it, and then who and who knows how like you know how the DMR will really regulate that you know or LDW. There's so much money changing hands there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, follow the money. I don't know if it's true or not, but I've heard rumors that they get almost a dollar a fish. By the time they get I'm all the buying prop. me a pokey boat. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go into a pokey boat fishing, Paul. I mean, I don't know how you sell all this stuff. The thing that gets me, though, is if you look it up, like a lot of these companies are owned by like foreign companies. Yes. That's crazy to me. And the yeah. money's going elsewhere. Yeah. Well, I agree with that. We money. don't know where the money's going. <laughs> I've heard you say that before, and that just blows my mind that all this money is going, leaving our country. Yeah, it's right here. <laughs> makes me. I mean, they employ people, which is good, I guess, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, but. Yeah, I think the damage done is um, more than what their empl- employees people yeah, are worth. For sure, I'd like to see more aquaculture stuff get and start up. I keep, I don't know, the aquaculture stuff is cool. They're talking about starting to cult- cultivate triple tail is like a really big, really one. Yeah, because they grow so quick, right? And they don't need like. A I've lot heard of you talk about how yeah. how quick the triple tail. Yeah, Bro. it's really cool too. Like I, I went to um, the Aquaculture Center in Mississippi, the Mississippi Research. It's at the Mississippi Research Lab, and they, um, <clears throat> they, they've raised these triple tail. Like they grew them from nothing, like the sperm and eggs, basically. And I went there to go feed them, and dude, they're like ten, twelve pound triple tail. And they and it's crazy too because the coolest the the most interesting thing to me is because they have speckled trout they had they I went there one time they had a fourteen pound speckled trout in this place you'd love to go and feed these things it's wow it's super cool wow but you you can go in there and they like you can feed but like you go to like the speckled trout and they kind of come up and they'll like strike at the water and stuff and everything and then you throw the the fish in with like the bull reds and they just kind of swim around the tank. And they'll kind of eat it as it hits the bottom and stuff. And sometimes they'll kind of come up. You walk over to the triple tail tank, they come up to you like a dog. Like, <laughs> they come up to you, like, looking right at you. And if you put, like, as soon as you, like, I have videos I'll show you. But you, as soon as you drop something in the water, it's like it sucks. Like, it just opens their mouth and it makes, like, a vacuum. So it's that constant, like, sucking it off the top of the water sound. It's super cool. It's super wow. cool. But it's cool to see their yeah, different where, where behaviors like that. It's at the Missis, uh, the University of Southern Miss uh, Research Lab at the Aquaculture Center in um, in Mississippi in Ocean Springs. It's actually right like right around the corner from my house. I'll look it's it up. Cool. Yeah. I'll look it up. I'd like to see it. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I, if you ever if you're really interested and you really want to go see it, uh, I could 
maybe line something up. It's not like it's not like open to the public. But I got one of my best friends works there now, and like Angelo, you probably heard him on the podcast. Yep. Yeah, he. And we're, I got to do another one with him soon. He's he's. Cool. I love it. Yeah, yeah. You you really would. It's it's cool. It really is cool. Um, but yeah. <clears throat> what about um any other? What what's your biggest bass? Nine pounds and twelve ounces. Nine pounds. That's yeah. a big one. Yeah. But uh, I've caught fish, 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 eight pounders, nine pounders. I have not broken ten pounds. Wow. And uh, <laughs> it'll happen one day. <laughs> no, no, won't. Cause I'm. <laughs> Hey, the bass fish, the bass, they can breathe a sigh of relief because I'm not after them anymore. <laughs> These trout better be on their toes, though. I find that a lot of bass fishermen, they, they, they like, get into trout fishing, and it's, like, a new, it's like a new avenue. It is. This is just, it's, just it's, like a, it's like the new thing for them, you know. And I've never gotten into bass fishing real heavy, but I, I already see it. Like, I want to get into bass fishing, like. Like later on, I feel like. <laughs> yeah, it, it's fun too, but it, this trout fishing is just the thing. It's just wade fishing for trout is just. What do you think it is that you mostly like though? Is it just the hook set? Because I feel like bass fishermen, you know, they. That's what I like about like take like if I get bass fishermen on the boat, I try to get them something that they can really set the hook on. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I like that thump. The the feel of the bite. The yeah? feel of the bite. The feel of the bite. <laughs> and it's just, it's just, because it can be aggressive and vicious, and it can be so subtle. Uh, I think a lot of folks, and we, I've heard you talk about the changes in fishing tackle. Braided line makes such a difference <laughs> when you're fishing, and you're feeling for that most subtle bite. So, how, let me ask you this: How long did it take you to convert from? Because I mean, you were using monofilament for how long? Forever, <laughs> fifty years before. Yeah, fifty years at least. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. That's crazy. I can't imagine that. I'm the fish with monofilament. <laughs> Couldn't I mean, do it. Well, you know, I mean, there was no braid back then. Yeah. And, uh, but now braid just makes a world of difference. Did you switch, like, immediately or not really? Not immediately. No, yeah. Uh, I think most people were kind of like, uh, at first. Yeah, because the, the early braid was not nearly as good as the braid we have now. Yeah. And, uh. Yeah, it seemed like it knotted up a lot and stuff. Yeah, uh, but uh, the braid we have is so is so thin and so strong and so sensitive. Why yeah. would somebody not fish braid? Could, I don't know. They're stuck you, in their old ways, man. I every now and then I have somebody bring a, a rod on my boat with monofilament. <laughs> I had a guy the other day. Is monofilament? He'll laugh when you hear me talk about this. <laughs> but he's got you know. I'm we're trying to trout fish, and he wants to make it more fun for himself, so he. It has an ultralight with eight pound test on it, full monofilament all the way through on an ultralight, and I was just like, <laughs> I couldn't handle it, man. Because <laughs> well, I'm more of I'm more of heavy tackle guy. Like, like I'm like I like to feel the bite, and then I want to get it to me as close as quick as I can. Like I don't I want I don't want to sit there and watch the trout pull drag and. <laughs> You know, no, we're not. Doing I want to get him to me. That's true. That's true. <laughs> you know, I want to end it. <laughs> well, it's funny, but they're, but the fly fishermen are the same way. That's what I think about fly fishermen. It's like, why do I want to? Why do I? Why do I want to? Like the like the bite and getting the bite to me is like the the excitement part. The fight is like I'm trying to get them in as quick as I can. But the the fly back, fishing. Back is to what, your pole fishing. When yeah. I was using my cane poles, I call them cane poles, those telescopic poles, catching those sheep's head. 
I used 50-pound test monofilament. Really? Yeah. You know why? Why? Because when you get them to the boat, we didn't want to take time. I wasn't going to stop and net somebody else's fish. Everybody had to get their own. Just grab the line. You can grab 50-pound monofilament and lift the fish in the boat. It won't break the, it won't break the line. It won't cut your hand. Oh, it won't cut your hand, yeah. But if you had braid on there, you grab that and, and fish. I guess my hands have gotten really tough because I cut them all the time. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I know what you mean about that, though. Braid does cut yourself. It cuts, really. but... Uh, and, and When did braid come on the scene? You know, I want to say it was like uh, like the early 2000s, but I really don't know. Be- because then that's kind of debatable because they did have Dacron before they had Braid, I believe. Which Dacron was like, you know, stuff that people yeah. like grouper and marlin fish yeah. with and stuff like that. Yeah, but, but I'm talking about for inshore fishing. Like for all, all the 17 see, I, years. I wanna, I'll, I'd say I'd say like, like around 2005, 2007. Because back in the 80s, it was all monofilament on all my bass rods. uh and that and that's why I think so many people have such a bad habit of setting the hook way too hard. Like my customers, I mean, I mean, I don't know if you probably don't experience, but I'm telling you, most of the people, whenever they see their cork go down or whenever they get just the littlest bite, yeah. they just and it comes flying back at them like at 20 or 30 yards, and I'm like, well, you know, like you're like I got braid to fluorocarbon, so everything's really tight, so. Yeah. If he bites it and he turns away from you, you really only have to move it about six inches or less to well, to set that hook, you know. <laughs> you said braid to fluorocarbon. Yeah. What knot do you use to attach your fluorocarbon leader to your braid? Like if I'm fishing like plastics? like Yeah. Yeah. I just use a uni to uni, honestly, because it's yeah. faster. Yeah. I know there's stronger ones. <laughs> I found it to be pretty strong. Do you use a unity uni? Yeah, I, I use a unity and an FG knot. Yeah, a lot of people use the FG or. The it, it's a long, it's a longer and it's a uh, slimmer knot. Yeah, it doesn't uh, go through the eyes. Yeah, it'll better. go through the eyes a little better. Yeah, no, no, I, I like it better. I just I don't ever take the time. It takes a little longer to tie. I really just. <laughs> well, I can tie it better in the boat than I can waist deep water. When I'm in waist deep water, it's tie it's hard to tie. Yeah. I keep a leader. Uh, uh, I think a leader line in my shirt pocket so I can retie. But if I'm not in the water, I'm going to do it unity to uni. Yeah. Well, you went out today, huh? Uh, why'd you ask me that? <laughs> <laughs> I did not hurt the trout population today. <laughs> I, man, I tried to. I, 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 I'm never afraid to admit it, man. They, they, uh, they had my number today. I went, I went out on a trout fishing quest, and I ended it with a sheephead beatdown. So. <laughs> did you? Re- How'd you catch a sheep? Well, where, uh, you know, there's sheep's head on a lot of the same places there are spade fish. Yeah, there are. You're right about that. <laughs> and sheep's head will bite a, a shrimp, a dead shrimp, right now. Mm-hmm. Spade fish, if you want to catch spade fish on the shrimp, you need to peel the shrimp because well, we're, we're not trying to catch spade fish, so <laughs> they're, they're delicious. <laughs> really, everybody, tur- everybody here turns up their nose at, sh- at uh, sh- spade fish mm-hmm. on the Carolina coast. They make a, a big production out of going out to catch spade fish. Yeah, I've seen that before. I, I, I and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not, I mean, I've, 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 I've actually ate them before. It's just, I don't know, whenever I'm out there targeting something and I see. I used to think this way about sheephead, honestly, but I just love sheephead too much. But you see something eating a jellyfish, and I'm like, so we're going to eat fish for the thing that eats jellyfish. 
You know what I mean? I that's got, not that's I'm not what you. I'm trying to I, do. I'm with you. But that's why I, 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 I that's want why that. you have to peel your shrimp because they they're used to that jellyfish, mm-hmm. yeah. and if they feel that shell on them, yeah, they're weird. Like they'll that. spit it out. They won't yeah. do that. Yeah, and that's what they eat, and it's just like I don't know. I want to catch the thing that's like trying to eat all these bait fish or you know something. I don't know. <laughs> I love it. I love your philosophy. <laughs> like. I don't know. It's like whenever I go tuna fishing, like with these guys, a lot of times I'm like, you know, we go catch, we go catch pogies and then we go catch tunas. And I'm like, why aren't we marlin fishing now? Like, Cause that's, we just <laughs> caught bait. That's all we got is the bait. You know, the, the real, the real fun is the man in the blue suit. You yep, know, to yep, me, that's yep. the, that's the apex. Or we're fishing for a Mako, you know, that's yeah. what <laughs> I love it. But, um, yeah, man, we've done almost an hour and a half now. It's a great podcast. Do you have anything else you want to talk about, Shay? We're good. Well, I'm good. Uh, Paul, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, looking forward to going to eat some. Yeah, I can't chicken. wait. We're, yeah, with the hogwash, it's going to be good. It was ready 15 minutes ago. Oh, boy. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. We'll be right on time. Then. Thanks so much, Paul. I certainly Thank enjoyed you. it. Thank you so much, Mr. Andrew.